make it seem that it's now near its fight. Ward hasn't been in this kind of war with as strong a fighter as Neary. They are trying to hurt each other with every punch. They've tested each other's will. Now they're testing each other's skill. And Ward wobbled there by a right cross from Neary. Ward hurting now. His legs are gone. Neary goes to the body as he tries to finish Mickey. Vicious body shots from Neary. And Ward still doesn't even try to move off the ropes. I don't know if he can, Jim. He's waiting for Neary to punch himself out. Down goes Mickey Ward, and he may be out. Come on, Ashen. Forward, forward. Come on. Ward is out on his feet. This could be it for Mickey Ward. Come on. Get the fucking store. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. His brother's got Ward jumping to wake up his legs. I think this could be Ward's last chance to turn this fight around. It's Mickey Ward against the aggressiveness and clean punching of Shane Neary. If you don't have your defense up, you can really get hurt. He's making it very difficult for Mickey Ward. I don't think he's going to get into it in this at this rate. This is a survival mode. Are you like me? Huh? We're just good enough to fight Sugar Ray? I never had to win, did I? You gotta do more than that. You gotta win a title. For you, for me, for all. This is your time, all right? You take it. I have my pain and glue it. You don't have to, all right? You fucking get out there. You lose all the shit that you've been through. I'm not fucking angry. All the shit that we've gone through over the fucking years. You put it in that ring right now. This is yours. This is fucking yours. Okay. Fucking head, body, head, body. Say it back to me. Fucking say it back to Head, body, head, body. Get me my... This is fucking yours. Fucking yours. Stay off the fucking ropes. If I'm in Mickey Ward's corner tonight, I'm thinking if he doesn't pick things up this round and get going, then just get totally wiped out. Once again, Ward against the ropes as Neary is free to attack. Sometimes, if you want to win, you got to be something that you're not. Neary continues to pound away.
telling all we said. You fucking boxer, right? He thought he thought a piece of shit. He put Lowell back on the map, you know? We. I tell you. We. Who you? No, but hold on. Who used to be the pride of Lowell, huh? Right here. Who's the pride of Lowell now? Right there. That's how it's meant to be, you know? And it down to him. Nothing better than that. Nothing better than that. He did it. I gotta go. <laughs> back i hope you enjoy an extension of the topics from last week the trinity and the passion and and now uh salvation and resurrection and hopefully non-religious fashion no intention to be religious on this the opening that was the fighter with uh christian bale and mark Wahlberg about uh dickie and mickey ward from uh lowell massachusetts i'll talk more about it in the uh in the podcast. I hope you enjoy. Visit us, connect with us on synthesismeaning.me. I'm Neil McDougall, and as painful as it is, Logos is definitely rising. observation i think that our audience the people that are listening are listening intently these are highly intelligent and these are also the people that um that share things and challenge and um are, are articulate communicators so we're so i'm i'm really encouraged by the feedback and the sharing that i've seen online of some of the topics that it may be just synchro synchronicity happening, but it really seems like uh, there are some great seeds that are happening through these podcasts, and that's extremely encouraging. I, it, if I told you what I was going to try and cover today, it would sound too ambitious, but it really boils down to two simple things. There's a guy named James True. I was really impressed with him. I saw him on a uh, on a podcast interview a few weeks ago and he's just he's really coming through with some big insights and so he had an article recently called the greatest apocalypse ever so i'm going to share a couple of i'm going to kind of bracket the talk today the podcast full of the key points from his article and then uh in the middle i'm going to talk about some um movie themes film themes modern ones turns out that most of my favorite films in the last 10 years um all have a life extension or some form of born again or resurrection type of theme in them, which I never noticed before now. So the, the films that I really love and I watch over and over again, they all have this born again theme. And that's exactly what we're all going through right now. We're having this uh, ego death at the moment. And, um, and the trick is to try and see the wisdom in it and embrace the, the pain and, and, and see the, uh, see the long arc of history trending hopefully towards good as long as we all own our part here but first i'll start with a quote from the james true article you'll get the sense it's, it ties in with the theme at the at the beginning and uh and then we'll get into the film discussion there are rites and rituals 
to this order. Once you know about evil, it's painful. Once you understand why it's painful, it's liberating. If no one lied, no one would discern. Lies open our aperture like a lotus. Blind trust in man is man's placenta. It must burst so he breathes on our own. The hidden hand is here regardless of who knows it or likes it. The hidden hand of God grooms its children with lies. Truth is too soft for a comb. Lies pull through our tangles, raising an awakened child, immersed in its environment. Our aversion to combs hides the care behind the tug. We throw tantrums in the department store because we want a new toy instead of shoes. Children are always the last to realize the love of their parents. I think it's just a really powerful way of making the point about seeing the good in this. We would all be stuck in these NPC Homer Simpson existences, drinking beer and uh, and watching soaps, probably, <laughs> without an original thought in our head if we weren't awakened by all the deception around us all the time. So there's so much good that comes out of it. There's so much making us stronger that comes out of it. Um, it's just really difficult when you're suffering these little ego deaths to um, to embrace to see the positive in it and and, and the suffering is real suffering is real for everybody um, first I just feel like I need to I know this kind of these are themes these are like metaphors that are biblical in nature and some of the language is biblical I'm not taking this in the direction of anything biblical or, or religious it's just the more apocalyptic the things get just like Peterson used to say Jordan Peterson the more apocalyptic things get the more that religious language and metaphor is the only thing that seems to that seems to clarify and it seems to help in the understanding. So that's why this is I, I, I do I get really turned off when I see a, a super successful athlete using some of these like born again um, slogans. Uh, you know I, I'm happy for people when they they found some spirituality and and it's and it's helped them with their own salvation, but. It often comes across to me sounding like a cult spell, spell casting. These are just spells that they've been put under, you know. So I'm very happy for people when they when they find a way to manage through the struggles of life. It's just I, I just want to let you know I'm not I'm not heading in that direction of of just uh, biblical language for its own sake. So one little thing I'll I will tie this back later, but. The dark occultists in this world, they refer to the normies, the masses, as the dead, because they think they're spiritually dead. I think for us, for people probably in this podcast community, uh, the NPCs, we kind of see them as dead. I, I often call them zombies. It's a zombie apocalypse out there. And I think that that's relevant with, uh, I mean, we're trying to awaken people, right? It's It's relevant to the theme. If you see these people as as dead and they need they need life extension more you know as much as any of us and and looking for the opportunity to plant those seeds and and challenge them with their thinking and their questions and help them awaken when when the opportunity presents itself i'm personally these two weeks of themes my entire life is like completely in sync <laughs> so i suffered like about a hundred ego deaths yesterday and it's really difficult in the moment to uh, see the positive and to embrace it but of course once it happens there's no point doing anything else but embrace the inevitability of it so um 
So anyway, the themes I'm talking through today are, are complete parallel with my life right now. So they're very close to home. I think I've just identified what I see as, as four key mechanisms that the social controllers are using to destroy Logos in the home. And the home is where it all starts. If you can kill open, honest, candid, collaborative dialogue in the home, you've weakened that family completely. And like Peterson used to say, you know, hats off to single parents. But when you only have one parent operating, or maybe only one parent talking, or one parent engaged, that household is operating in a brain imbalance, essentially. That's that's not a sane household. Whatever that one individual is, no matter how well adapted they are, whatever their imbalances are, becomes the imbalances of the household. You don't have that counterbalance of the contrast of the opposite. Um, and if you had two parents collaborating, especially if you get a household of four, you know, two kids, and everybody's collaborating, that's where you get a sane existence that you can you can go out and adapt to the world or you can come back and regroup and you can talk it through and help understand it and do better the next day. I guess that's the other point I may have missed last week is that um, the other the Peterson often makes the point, you know, doing right in the world that sounds great, but it's it's not an unerring process. It's a stumbling and fumbling and bumbling forward um, to to hone these micro routines until you get better and better and better at it. You know, that's where the that's a big part of what Logos is. It's it's course correction when things aren't working and talking it through. So the, the manipulators are using what I see as like at least four key mechanisms. One is the cunning of reason I mentioned last week. And that's people that that just rely on their rationale. They think that if you know they follow the logic and the and the and uh, it's really cunning. <laughs> But it makes you think, and this comes out in the movie The Inception, it makes you think that like it's your own idea, that you've come up with this logic, so you so you own it even more. But it's that problem-reaction-solution, or in a computer program, it's an if-then-else statement. It, it's, it kind of corrals you down a false binary, and they're happy if you take one side or the other, as long as you don't step back and see the game that's being played. So that's the, that's the cunning of reason. So if somebody's living... Uh, largely through a kind of a rational computer mind, um, it's very, very easy to trick them. If they're not doing that cross-check back to what's right or their conscience, uh, they're an easy, easy target for manipulation. The other one is emotional manipulation. Everybody's got their emotional immaturities. But really, we've got like a massive state of psychological infantilism where people are looking to the world. I've talked about this before. But they think that the people that are running the world are some adults somewhere else. You got 50-year-old men that think that the adults, quote unquote, in, in Washington are going to take care of this. So it puts you into this infantile psychology, which makes you extremely manipulative, just like a child. You, you know, you can easily manipulate the emotions of a child um, if you keep them stuck there. The other one I just mentioned is is this idea of planting ideas and make you think that like the, 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 they're your idea. And uh, and then, you know, not wanting to let it go. But we'll get into that more in Inception uh, discussion. And then the last one, and this is the one that Michael Jones is huge on, and I don't think I've seen it as clearly. I have to say I've seen it in action, and I've noticed it, but 
but I didn't. I haven't seen it as clearly as he as he's able to put it in that Warsaw talk that I talked about last week. But um, it's this Trojan horse of sexual liberation. So imagine like a foreign force is coming into your house under the guise of sexual liberation, and it means something different to every single person in your house. Maybe to the father it means going to see strippers a couple times a week is is part of freedom. Maybe to the wife it's like shades of gray or I don't know, some, I don't know what the wives are into, but let's say that, shades of gray. The son, it's um, Grand Theft Auto, you know, and there's a little bit of, anyway, as soon as anybody gets a little bit of sexual deviance in their life that they've chosen, they, they, they get pulled into a thing that it's freedom and then it becomes sort of like, you know, there's a vice happening there and then there's some shame associated to it with it. So it just gets covered over. It becomes kind of a, a spot you don't want to talk about. You get enough of those spots, or, or maybe there's inappropriate flirtation at work or online or whatever. You get enough of those in your house, enough of those like shame zones, if you will. You're just going to kill open collaboration because it, it becomes this sort of shameful secrecy in the household. I don't know the answer. I don't know what the right balance is. I've always been, I, for a long time, I went down the New Age track huge with Osho and, and just in terms of my belief system, very, very open in these categories. But it just seems like the Puritan puritanical view seems too repressed. I mean, I've lived in the Gulf. I, I, I see the repression of the, of the Arab culture and I've seen the repression of the Catholic culture. But he's right. I can't argue. He's right. In the household, you get enough of these deviations, deviances, uh, it's going to kill this open collaboration. And soon you've got this like shame zone happening. And, uh, and people, and it just kills, it kills the logos. The other thing I think is really cool about these narratives and, and metaphors is they work on multiple levels of time frame. So Peterson used to talk about micro routines, which is really powerful. And that's really where you're going to change your life. Your, your little micro habits of how you deal with these challenges, how you, how you manage arguments, um, what, how you prioritize your day and so on. But you can look at the arc of your life or at the arc of your nation, at the arc of your culture, the arc of your career, if you want to use that word. They work at all is like a fractalized. These stories can work in the micro and they can work in the macro. And, uh, and they're really powerful. So if you, if you see the long arm of history, the long arc of history and the logos at work, you know, that's this, that's this faith that there's, that there is a hand at work and it's tending towards good over time, even though it looks quite dark right now. Um, but anyway, I think that that time frame fractalization is a really good thing to keep in mind. Okay. So I'll start with the films. First, I'll give you a couple examples of how you know, uh, Michael Jones talks about the choice between life. It's a really a choice between life and death, a choice between logos or narcissism. Do you want to be contributing to progress and forward action? Or do you want to be a parasite in that process and uh, be manipulating and stealing, stealing the hope and promise and out of the process? So in the case of, so it's a suicide versus salvation kind of binary, if you will. The one I lo I watched, and I, I have to say I was completely stumped by it, and then I went and I googled a bunch of, like, what was the meaning of this film, and, and the analysts were all stumped by it, but it was called A Serious Man. It's a Coen Brothers film. 
and it's sort of, I guess, Groundhog Day kind of a kind of a situation, and you're just not really sure <laughs> what the filmmakers are saying. It takes a long time. I mean, the the, the main character keeps he, it's a it's a it's a Jewish culture. It's a Jewish family, traditional, and you just can't see the mistakes he's making, um, but you can see that he's completely lost and it's spiritually like completely vacuous. And so I think, and, he, and the one with the slogans he keeps saying is, I didn't do anything. And uh, what's going on? He's got those two all the way through the film. So what's going on? He's just, it's just a weak, passive spectator. Really weak comment, right? And I didn't do anything. What he was saying was like, I'm not guilty of anything. But he also didn't do anything in terms of taking control of his life and taking the lead in his house and taking the lead in his, in his career. He's just... He, he's he's followed the rationale. He's sort of fallen into this cunning of reason, and he's in this complete rut of a like a rat maze. And you can see the emptiness of it, but you can't see what he's not doing. And I think it's because the um, you know this life extension, this surrender, and this uh, speaking out and taking action and and processing with with his with his inner circle isn't happening. But it's really hard to see, and even the analysts mostly couldn't see it. But the other two that were very, very similar is Midsommar. It's a Swedish film. It's a horror film. And Wicker Man. I didn't get all the way through Midsommar yet. But these are like um, pagan, pagan cult rituals. And they look, you know, they look kind of like, yeah, fun. And it's sort of sexually liberating. And, and it's devious, and or like deviant. And it seems harmless, and everybody seems so happy and beautiful and dressed so beautifully, and they seem to be one with nature. And this is all these really, it kind of sucks you in that way. And by the way, this whole, this whole current virus situation, to me, it's 100% a death cult. It's a complete doomsday cult. And the charismatic leader, quote unquote, is the whatever the news person these people are tuning into. But people are just embracing this idea that there's a doomsday coming, they love it because it lets them off the hook for every mistake they've ever made and any responsibility for the whole situation. They just check right out and, and be, a, be a spectator. But in The Wicker Man, maybe that's a perfect example. You can see the guy gets there and, he, and at first you think he seems kind of prudish and they seem like they're having such a great time. They're drinking. It's, there's like young naked women dancing in the park and there's all this. And it seems like he's the prude. But it leads, you can see where it leads. It leads towards this nihilistic death cult. It's a death cult um, with a, you know, under the guise of the sexual um, liberation. And uh, I think the, the original Wicker Man is the one I'm talking about. And I'm quite sure that's the where Midsommar, the Swedish film, is going as well. <laughs> but it looks, you know, it's, you can see how you can get tricked so easily, especially if you're raised in that culture. And especially if you haven't been exposed to its alternative, you can easily get sucked into like, yeah, we're so open-minded. You know, what's wrong with being open-minded? And the next thing you know, uh, you can see the darkness of that, of the, of the lack of a value system or an upside-down value system, really. So here are the, some of the movie titles that I think. So those are the negative examples, okay? Those are like spiritual suicide, essentially. These are the positive. These are life extension or resurrection themes. And I talked about some of these in, in my blogs and, and uh, podcasts before. But I'm only going to focus on one or two. But Unstoppable is excellent. 
in this regard, The Game with Brad Pitt and Robert Redford, or sorry, Spy Game with Brad Pitt and Robert Redford and The Game with Michael Douglas. Uh, Vanilla Sky I had last week is a theme of life extension. It kind of loses its way near the end, but it's definitely got this resurrection theme happening. Um, and then the fighter that we uh, that we opened with. So Inception, let's just focus on that one because I think it just it really hammers it all it all home. Besides what I've already said, um, it opens up with an old the old uh, Japanese man saying like uh, he, he's an old man filled with regret. So he's just a shadow of his former self. He's just going through emotions. Uh, he's an NPC now. And he realized that he never woke up into his soul life, essentially. He was pursuing, I think, uh, I think the implication is, he's pursuing like material wealth and material existence at the expense of his own spiritual existence. Um, and then the wife, played by Marion Cotillard, the wife of the Leo DiCaprio character, she, I mean, she commits suicide in the film, but it's basically Leo DiCaprio planted an idea, and this probably happens, you know, with all all young couples, that we're gonna we're gonna stay like this forever. This is gonna be our reality. We're gonna just celebrate our anniversaries magically. And she, but she gets attached, and I think the reason she gets attached so much to this idea is explained that her grip on reality, uh, he says that she locks it away and she deliberately forgets about it. So uh, to me, that's an analogy for, uh, for life trauma. She's got some buried trauma so deep that she's deliberately at some point made a conscious choice to never remember that again. And she locks it away. So now she can't, real, her reality is too much to bear. So she, her, what's her choice? Her choice is to latch on to the best fantasy that she can think of, which is this one that they planted as an early couple of just living sort of a, a paradise hedonistic existence forever and ever. She gets, so she wants him to commit suicide with her because she wants to go back to this paradise. So she's convinced that what is their reality isn't real. And by committing suicide, she'll wake up into this paradise. So to me, it's the metaphor of she's committing a spiritual suicide uh, so that she can live in a fantasy land, magical thinking. And not only that, she poisons the well for him. So he can't, uh, the Leo DiCaprio character, play her husband, he has no choice. He has, to, she, because she like gets certified as sane with three psychologists and then files an affidavit with a lawyer that she's afraid for her life her husband, she's afraid he's going to kill her if she gets a chance. And then she stages a murder in this room where they're celebrating an anniversary. So he's got to he's got to give up reality and and latch on to this idea that he knows is fake, and you know commit suicide in, in reality, or be banned from his household forever and ever because she's framed him and, and there's going to be a warrant out for his arrest in his home country. So that's what the story is about, and then he gets a chance to... So just to tie it back to the passion story from last week, the, the, the consistent theme with all of these movies, the resurrection theme, is essentially, and it's in every one of these it's a leading man in this case, but there's a couple of them where, like in the case of the fighter, the, the new girlfriend comes in, and she breathes a new Logos into this family, and she actually resurrects the family 
through confronting their their truths brutally. And in the case of uh, Born Legacy, the they both have a resurrection experience together, the leading man and the leading woman. They both have this ego death and, and rebirth. But in in most cases, this is a, a leading man story. And he has his lashings with confronting reality. So he's out there, he's driving his career. Um, it's sort of an ego trip. Uh, he thinks he's doing the right thing by the world. He's trying to do the right thing. And he just gets his lashes by the world. And he realizes that he has, that, that the right thing to do is to betray his material pursuits, betray his professional pursuits, and typically go against the institution that he, you know, cut his chains, essentially, cut his strings. In the case of Born Legacy, he actually leaves his dog tags and he cuts his strings from his controllers. In the case of Spy Game, the Robert Redford character is, is like the master to Brad Pitt's character's apprentice. And at one point in the training, Robert Redford's character says, uh, tuck away some money for, for your savings and don't touch it for anybody. In other words, always put yourself first materially. And then, you know, his rebirth experience, he realizes that the right thing to do is to, to use his retirement account to save his old apprentice and expect nothing in return. So in Inception, and in every case, their lashings are also their skills. In every case, they use their greatest gifts professionally and from confronting reality so brutally um, to actually betray their material pursuits and do the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing in, in every case. Um, so at the end of the Inception film, by saving a soul, by saving another soul, essentially, through using his greatest professional skills acquired through his confrontation with reality, he's able to save his, him, himself. And in the, in the fighter, uh, it's so clear that the brother, he's a narcissist at the center. I mean, you know, he's very likable, but he's, he's, everything is about him. And his fight with Sugar Ray Leonard, and he's the pride of Lowell, their their hometown. And then he's always indulging with like Cambodian prostitutes in a crack house. So he's got his vices, and uh, he's letting his brother down constantly because he's indulging his own narcissism. And his brother's just getting battered. And it's not until he has this brutal confrontation with reality. There's a documentary exposing. Uh, the realities of crack addictions, and uh, it just completely humiliates him while he's in prison doing time, and he has to see his son crying on TV while he gets taken away to prison in the uh, documentary on himself. And so he has to like rise above all of his vices, completely surrender his ego, and lay himself down with all, <laughs> all his skills and abilities acquired through all these lashings, all these warts through his life, and lay them all down so his brother can uh, can become the, the the real pride of Lowell as he as he thought at the beginning uh, and that's that's the that's the resurrection story uh, to me that's the one that keeps coming through and I think I think you know this concept of synchro mysticism I don't think it's always deliberate I think often the, the themes come through completely you've got this whatever 100 or 200 people creative people working collaboratively on a creative project. 
I think sometimes just in the editing and the, it comes through accidentally sometimes. Sometimes it's completely deliberate. But yeah, that's, that's the theme and I, and I think it's extremely, extremely powerful. So I'll, I'll just take it to this, back to the James True article. So in that same article, The Greatest Apocalypse Ever, he has the five levels of consciousness essentially. And I know there's that, I can't remember his name right now. There is that famous spiritual author and teacher that has a book on levels of consciousness. But just, just stick with this because I think this is really, really, stick with this for the moment. This is really, really powerful. Um, the first one is child or infant. Okay, so you're dependent on, on some guardian who's taking responsibility for your life. Then you, then you move into partner. That's probably from like 16 to 30, where you're focused on, on collaborating or reciprocating in this, in this healthy partnership, you know, that's presumably leading to something bigger. Then you become the, the parent or the guardian. And now you've, you've basically laid down your egotism for, for another life. You're willing to sacrifice yourself for something much, much bigger. And then the, the uh, 4G, he's calling it, <laughs> nothing to do with the telecom, I don't think. But 4G is like a grandparent. He's, he called that loving as a human, giving for the sake of giving, purely expecting nothing in return. And then finally is the agape, which we've talked about before. It's like this universal love for creation. And that's, that's, the, that's the God level consciousness, and he's calling it 5G. So, you know, you can see how through those two stories, the Trinity story from last week and the resurrection stories from this week, how you're kind of stepping through these different levels of consciousness. And of course, if you think about the micro, you know, in some areas, you, maybe you are uh, grandparent consciousness, you know, maybe you are 4G in some aspects of your life, but you're, you're a child in other aspects of your life. So the idea is to get it all up up to God level. <laughs> and then lastly, I, uh, I just took a glance. I think this is a central, this is the central creed in the Catholic, which I've, you know, as a child, read a, a thousand times. But I, I just went back to look and see if there's anything that sort of like strikes me in a new way, given these last two weeks. The, the, the one that I think is really incredible is begotten, not made. You know, that, that he was born of the Father and he's begotten, not made. To me, that's, and just like anybody that's tapping into the creative force of the universe, you, like Picasso or any of these great artists, they will always say the sculpture was in there. They just had to discover it. You know, it's, it's like, it's a way of, you have a great, brilliant, ingenious idea, not getting an ego boost from that, that you just, the work you did helped you discover that. It's, it's discovered, not made. You didn't create it. The creative force of the universe created it. You just discovered it. That never meant anything to me before. <laughs> and then the other one is consubstantial with the Father. I've never, ever noticed that before. But to me, that's this reciprocal, the, you know, that the Son gives birth to the Father and the Father gives birth to the Son, and that you're, you're equally substantial. I've just never, I think it's amazing. All of a sudden, I see this word I've never noticed before. And then the final one is was this, this line near the end where it says, I look for the resurrection of the dead. To me, that means you're what right now. You're looking for the NPCs that've got a little shadow of doubt or a little doubt, question in their mind, or they're they're starting to you know there's a little opening to plant a seed of doubt or plant a question or maybe confront their 
contradictions. You know, that's the resurrection of the dead. <laughs> the people that have that have accepted like a complete spiritual death. If you if you've benefited from from not, uh, you know, if you're here, you definitely have benefited from keeping your spiritual existence active. You know, that that this resurrection of the dead to me that's just a brilliant. That's you know, it always meant something morbid to me as a child. But now I see it's like you see the NPC, you confront them. If, if if there's anything constructive you can do for that person to help put a little bit of light back into their spiritual existence. I hope that helps. I, I definitely don't have it all figured out. It's a huge topic. I love it how it's coming together. And I think, you know, in another week, maybe what I'll do is I'll try and tie these two weeks together a little more succinctly because as time goes by, I'm I'm just getting a better, better grip on how the pieces come together. I'm Neil McDougal, and as painful as it is, Logos is definitely rising.
Yourself.